RC Top 3, a weekly podcast of the top three stories from Regnum Christi. Deacon Vin Pham, LC. Yes to the next step. I am the first American-born member of my family. My life and vocation exist today for the price of the risks my parents and grandmother took. In 1975, the Vietnam War ended and the Communist Party took power. My family had been transported from the north to the south near Saigon, modern-day Ho Chi Minh City. My father worked night shifts as a driver of a borrowed mini-tricycle truck, a makeshift taxi. He saved up enough funds to start a tiny three-taxi fleet of his own to feed his wife and three children. Even as young adults, my parents knew the fate of the country and that of our families. At the very first chance, they risked attempts to escape their homeland and give us a future. After several attempts, which each left them poorer than the last, including months spent in prison, they finally made it out to the open sea. There, too, they miraculously dodged numerous life-threatening close calls. In 1982, my family arrived in Southern California, thanks to a generous sponsor family. On March 28, 1984, I was born in Fountain Valley, California. My parents are unbelievably hardworking people. My grandmother was the baton of faith in our family. My mother is a hardworking and patient mom of now seven children. During most of my childhood, my father was a passing shadow in the evenings as he was required to work long hours to provide for the family. In elementary school, I remember being seen as the little Asian boy. English was very difficult because our first language was Vietnamese. Everything behind the closed doors of our home was Vietnamese, from food to culture to faith. My parents didn't just fight against their adolescent children, like any normal family, but they also fought this new and foreign American culture that their children would drag in with them like mud on their shoes. My parents worked hard to keep all of us in parochial schools. We had stints when we went to daily mass, when mom could find the time. I still remember vividly the way I admired our parish priest. I dreamed of someday being vested just like him on that altar. I jumped at every chance to be an altar server. One other thing I remember is the fact that I wanted to be a priest, but not that kind of priest, meaning a priest in a parish. Later in life, I discovered that my vocation was to be a missionary priest rather than a parish pastor. How an eight-year-old boy made that distinction beats me. Since my parents were foreign to the new culture we were so exposed to, they only had a handle on us and the security of our home. I developed somewhat of a split personality, or rather a culturality. I'd be one way at home and another outside. This recipe, along with the generous lifestyle of Southern California, is a dangerous combination. Eventually, I settled into a hobby that kept me quite occupied and prioritized my time. Cars, motorcycle, speed, girls, then everything else. I love cars and mechanics. I quickly learned that I was good with my hands and can make things go fast pretty effectively. Fast forward a few years, and by the grace of God, I got an associate's degree in automotive computers and was drafted and trained by Mercedes-Benz of America. I spent two very enjoyable years working for them in Atlanta. The saving grace that kept me from speeding to an irreparable end was my Vietnamese Catholic faith. In America, wherever there is a conglomeration of Vietnamese Catholics, besides abundant faux restaurants, there is an active youth movement formerly called TNTT, now V-E-Y-M. Vietnamese Eucharistic Youth Movement. This meant spending four to six hours at a church every weekend. Spending that much time every week with the same kids, you inevitably start building lasting friendships. 
I was in this movement from the age of seven until I entered the religious life. The call to the priesthood kept nagging at me from time to time. Way in the back of my heart somewhere, there was always this wondering. I decided to enter a minor seminary at age 17. Nine months and two fistfights later, I discerned that it wasn't my calling and returned home. With that wondering behind me, I could finally live my life in peace and prepare for a family. Almost immediately after leaving, God placed a beautiful and faith-filled young lady in my life, a person who really had no business being there. My new normal was now juggling the masks of the car scene, church scene, dating scene, and family scene. Life was going quite well. Seven years later in that relationship, I was quite content with my life, looking forward and on the verge of stepping into married life. In 2009, the perfect storm of my life was on the cusp of erupting. The economic crisis of 2009 left me jobless, and my relationship was also going through twists and turns. At that very moment, a friend from the youth group invited me to come and visit him in Cheshire, Connecticut, the novitiate of the Legionaries of Christ. I went with zero expectations in mind, except one. I'm not here for the vocation. I just need a break and to visit an old friend. Been there, done that, I told myself. I was in for the shock of my life, simply blown away at what I witnessed on January 13, 2009. Contrary to popular belief, or so I thought, I encountered lively, strong, athletic, balanced, kind, faith-filled, and normal men. I was absolutely determined to find the core of what made these guys tick. I planned a return visit. Holy Week 2009, my first legitimate silent retreat ever. In that silence, along with the somber yet magnificently beautiful liturgies, I discovered Christ, the man, the friend. The silence crushed me. In that silence, I found life. I found meaning. I found God within me. The immense joy of this discovery left me begging for more. That Holy Week Triduum stripped me of everything I had thought I'd known. It was a roller coaster ride of discoveries and emotions. One thing I knew for sure I never want to live my life without this God ever again. My firm expectation was still set I'm not here for a vocation. On the desk of that same Holy Saturday, I felt a voice in prayer. Come, follow me. My conviction still stood. I'm not here for a vocation. I will not say yes to the vocation, but I will say yes to the next step. I don't know many things in life, but one thing I know for sure. I know that I never want to live the rest of my life without this joy that you have revealed to me. God, I'll give you one step, one yes. That one yes led to another. Three months later, I found myself entering the Legionaries of Christ at the age of 25. The next 12 years flashed like the blink of an eye, and now I stand at the threshold of an eternal change. One step at a time, I said. Only one step. That was the best first step of my life. I pray to be his faithful priest for the rest of my life, to expand his kingdom and bring all souls to know, love, and imitate Christ. Christ our King, thy kingdom come. Deacon Vin Pham, L.C., will be ordained to the priesthood on Saturday, May 29, 2021, at Holy Vietnamese Martyrs Parish in Atlanta, Georgia, along with Deacon Michael Sester, L.C. This institute is quenching a thirst in my spirit I didn't even know I had. The Lydia Institute provides a new ministry for professional women. For years, Mary Marr, a consecrated woman of Regnum Christi, 
watched the women in her life struggle to find a work-life balance, generously sacrificing themselves for the needs of their families and others, but lacking the time and space to address their own personal needs, particularly in the areas of self-care and spiritual formation. Yet when she would search for opportunities for small groups, faith communities, or spirituality events that might be of benefit, Mary consistently found that the meetings and activities didn't suit or work into the schedules of the women she knew who worked outside of the home. Not finding a ministry specifically designed for the professional women in her life, Mary set out, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to create one herself. The Doctor of Ministry degree at the University of St. Mary of the Lake in Chicago provided Mary the perfect opportunity. A professional degree designed to have direct application in pastoral outreach, the Doctor of Ministry combines research and analysis with the creation of real-life ministry to address a particular situation or need within the church. When Mary began her Doctor of Ministry degree, she started to explore the spiritual needs unique to busy professional women and how they might be better met in pastoral ministry within the church. For years, I watched my sisters and friends juggling multiple roles and responsibilities, spread pretty thin between work and home, their big generous hearts pulled in a million directions, says Mary. I felt such a desire to support them, and when I started digging into this theme and doing a little research, I quickly realized that my sisters and friends are not alone. There are overstretched, undernourished working women and professionals from coast to coast and around the globe. Mary's research into the spiritual lives and needs of professional women confirmed her original concerns. While women make up 50% of the technical and professional workforce in America, including corporate leadership, where they hold 52% of all managerial roles, only about 20% of them regularly attend religious services. And although 69% of women surveyed state they believe in God, and 59% profess religion to be important, the majority of them acknowledge that they have never attended a prayer or scripture group and are not actively engaged in parish life. Working women carry a heavy load. They are oftentimes pulled and pressured with no time to pray, and it is God they need more than anything else. Yet often they go without the appropriate spiritual support for themselves, says Mary, who in her research found that most of the ministries currently available in the church were neither designed for nor marketed towards professional women. This was the challenge that Mary's doctoral thesis project set out to address, to create a ministry that appealed to and was specifically designed for busy professional women and their unique spiritual needs. The result is the Lydia Institute, a faith-based community that provides professional women with opportunities for intentional spiritual development, Christian leadership training, and personal connection and mentoring by offering scripture series, prayer experiences, retreats, and personal spiritual coaching. The inspiration for the project and the namesake and patron of the Institute is Lydia, a first-century businesswoman, a dealer in purple cloth, who is considered to be the first European convert to Christianity and was vital in helping St. Paul establish and grow the Philippian church. For Mary, Lydia is an icon of faith, a woman of worship and work, and a powerful example of purpose and passion. The feminine servant leadership embodied by Lydia became the model for the Institute and the subject of its pilot project, a six-week small group scripture series titled Biblical Womanhood and Feminine Leadership, which studied some of the women in Scripture who had, by living from their unique identities as beloved and beautiful daughters of God at the service of His plan, made a real impact on salvation history. Each session included time for fellowship over wine and cheese, 30 minutes of Scripture study and discussion, and space for sharing, reflection, and personal prayer. The response to the pilot project was overwhelming. 
the series was a transformative experience for each one of the women who participated. This institute is quenching a thirst in my spirit I didn't even know I had, stated one participant. After 25 years as a Catholic, this is the first time I have felt like I belong in the church, said another. Since that pilot series, the Lydia Institute has run several scripture studies, in person and online, including fall, winter, and Lenten series that reached over 100 professional women over the past six months, helping them find their purpose within the Word of God in a profound and personal way. Although Mary's doctoral project is complete, she recently successfully defended her thesis titled The Lydia Institute, A Ministry for the Professional Woman, and obtained her Doctor of Ministry degree. Her work has just begun. The Lydia Institute will become a part of the Renew My Church program, a pastoral revitalization initiative out of the Archdiocese of Chicago, with whom Mary is working as an associate director of the Building the New Reality phase. There is incredible potential for holiness and mission that lies deep in the heart of every professional woman, those women out there that I pray this institute will reach someday. And my prayer is that the Lydia Institute will be a place where professional women can encounter the love of Christ and take the light of the gospel everywhere they go, says Mary. The mission of the Lydia Institute is to engage working women in the life and mission of the church, one heart, one home, one office at a time. Mary has been a consecrated woman of Regnum Christi for almost 24 years and is currently serving in pastoral ministry in the Archdiocese of Chicago. To find out more about the Lydia Institute and their upcoming events and series, visit their website at lydiainstitute.org. Part 5. A Blueprint of Lay Consecration, St. Joseph This is Part 5 of a series of six blogs where Lisa Small, a consecrated woman of Regnum Christi, shares about her eight-day silent retreat in Avila, and what St. Teresa of Avila and the current Carmelites living there had to teach her about her own vocation as a lay consecrated woman called to evangelize and sanctify the world through her Regnum Christi spirituality. Look up lay consecration in church documents, and you won't find any solely dedicated to this particular vocation. So I turned to the Gospel for Light during my retreat as I continued exploring my identity as a consecrated woman of Regnum Christi. Our call to live like Christ has always been clear as Regnum Christi members. Yet, Jesus kept leading me to his home in Nazareth to contemplate more his father and mother and their style of life and vocation. And in a special way, I found much light in the way that St. Joseph lived his specific vocation as a model for and protector of all vocations. St. Joseph is very present in Avila. Every monastery or church has a striking statue of him in a prominent spot. And as I discovered more of St. Teresa's own journey, I began to realize why he was so central to the town of Avila and why he was to become so present during my own retreat. St. Teresa had an incredible devotion to St. Joseph and is actually known to have been instrumental in bringing this devotion to the forefront of the church. In her early years as a contemplative nun, she suffered from a grave illness that left her bedridden for over a year. The best doctors were consulted, yet she grew worse and even entered a state of unconsciousness for four days, where they thought she had died. After regaining consciousness, she asked St. Joseph for healing, telling him that she could do more for the kingdom if she were well. Miraculously, overnight, she was healed, and from that moment on, she had recourse to St. Joseph in her remaining years as a nun and reformer. At prayer one day, she felt our Lord calling her to found a new monastery, observing a more faithful living of her original Carmelite charism. She had a vision of Mary and Joseph standing at the entrance to the monastery, which would take the name of St. Joseph and be placed under his protection. 
On one of my visits to the monastery of St. Joseph, I began to reflect on my deepening relationship with St. Joseph and understanding of his role in our own spiritual family. As consecrated women of Regnum Christi, he is one of our official protectors, and little by little, he has been quietly making his presence known in our communities and lives, especially in providing for us in our material needs. Last December 8th, I completed a 33-day preparation to consecrate myself to Christ through the intercession of St. Joseph, only to receive the great news that day that Pope Francis was announcing the beginning of this jubilee year dedicated to St. Joseph. So maybe it shouldn't have been so surprising that the Lord invited me into the humble home of Nazareth to spend significant time with his foster father, contemplating and sharing in the beautiful life that the three of them led for close to thirty years. Joseph and Mary were lay, living an ordinary normal life in the world like any other Nazarene of the time. There was nothing that they did, said, or wore that distinguished them externally as the mother and foster father of the Messiah. And yet, just like Christ, they were consecrated to God, living fully the three evangelical councils that now characterize the lifestyle of consecration, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Their lives were modeled after Christ's, and yet their lay state meant this consecration was hidden, but still very real. I contemplated how they lived the evangelical councils in a very real way, while integrating them with their everyday lives. They lived poverty, owning what they needed and receiving everything from their Heavenly Father as a gift. They constantly had hearts open and receptive to however God wanted to communicate to them. And they both clearly committed themselves to a life of celibacy and chastity, being a pure gift to each other and to God at the same time. Their love was total, but centered in and through their Son, Jesus. I sat and pondered, marveling at the harmonious and organic way that they wove together their lay vocation and their consecration. I prayed that the living of my vows within the world could witness to their life. I contemplated how, even though their belonging to God was not marked by any external sign, the whole town of Nazareth likely knew that there was something very distinctive about each one of them, that in encountering them, people touched God in a special way. During moments of prayer, I imagined entering their home and carpenter workshop, observing how frequently people visited, seeking to receive a kind welcome, word of advice, or simply to spend time with these extraordinary people. I contemplated the times of solitude they would each have with God in prayer, as well as the intimate moments they would share together in the sanctuary of their home. In them, I found a blueprint of my own vocation to lay consecration. There are few church documents that touch on the specific spirituality of lay consecration, and it is not always easily understood by people first encountering us. However, there are many different men and women throughout the history of the church who have also lived this out, like St. Mary Magdalene, St. Catherine of Siena, and St. Rose of Lima, to name but a few. But, during these eight days of prayer, I discovered in a new way a type of guidebook in Domus Mariae Nazareth. Jesus, Joseph, and Mary are incredible models in living out the style of life by being 100% lay and 100% consecrated. My heart was filled with the joy and privilege I have to be called to such a beautiful vocation. For more resources, visit www.regnumchristi.org or download the Regnum Christi English app today.